You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Good evening and thanks for joining me, Sharon Noonan, for tonight's Best Possible Taste. On the programme this evening, subject matter will look at an innovative ice cream that is completely dairy-free. Clodagh McKenna will be talking about lots of things, including her new book, having a pop-up restaurant in London's Selfridges, and a seaweed festival taking place in Ballybunion, County Kerry. What exactly is in your food? I suspect a shock will be in store for many of us when investigative food journalist Joanna Blythman talks to me by phone about her new book, Swallow This, Serving Up the Food Industry's Darkest Secrets. And restaurant reviewer Rachel Keeley will be in studio to talk about Elbow Lane in Cork City. If you something that you'd like to share with us here on the show, I'd love to hear from you. It could be your favourite recipe or a fantastic food find. Anything food or drink related at all, please do get in touch and you can email me s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org as in Queen of Organisation. In the meantime, let's welcome resident reviewer Rachel Keeley and find out about her latest dining spot, Elbow Lane in Cork City. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Rachel, welcome to the studio this month. Hi Sharon, thanks a million for having me. You have returned to Cork and uh, what's the name of the place you were at recently? Um, it's a bit of a mouthful actually, which is ironic given that it's a tiny, tiny restaurant. It's called Elbow Lane Brew and Smokehouse and it's on Oliver Plunkett Street in Cork. That's quite central, is it? Very central and again in quite an old part of part of the city as well. So uh, very atmospheric on the cold wintry night that we were down there. The last time you were in Cork, you were in a comfort food eating zone in the Cock Bull. So what sort of place is Elbow Lane? Elbow Lane is uh, what it is is a lot of things uh, I mean initially when you kind of approach it it looks like a fairy tale gingerbread house it looks beautiful it looks like something out of a sort of, some sort of child uh, childhood tale um, but when you go inside you realise it's extremely narrow uh, there's probably only the width of two tables across but they managed to fit um, a nano brewery in there where they make their own craft beers a smokehouse uh, an in-house smokehouse a saloon style bar a really long stretched bar uh, and seating for 24 people so they pack a lot into a small restaurant. Because 24 people is not a lot. It's not, no. So that's why they don't take reservations. And I can kind of understand that. But having said that, you know, the, the tables turn quickly. People often will have their meals. They might sit up at the bar then and enjoy their craft beers. So you mightn't have to wait too long, but maybe leave your name and then have a drink next door or so. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you were there on a cold winter's night and the menu then. Tell us a little bit about what sort of food is on it. Um, I think I, I, the major reaction I had to the to the menu um, was that somebody somewhere, whether it was the chef or the owners or a combination, was having fun. The dishes were really different, very imaginative. Um, obviously put together by people who enjoy food and enjoy food combinations. There, it wasn't a case of trying to please uh, as many palates as possible or trying to make as much money. It was a case of trying to produce really good food. So it was very, very interesting to such an extent that I ended up ordering three starters instead of a main course because I kind of couldn't put the menu down. And there'd be a lot of smoked food on it. Quite a bit of smoked food, yes. Um, little things, um, I mean, by no means... Uh, 
an abundance of it. I remember I was in uh, chapter one a couple of years ago and the waiter told me that if I stood still long enough, they'd smoke me too. And they were going through a bit of a moment, I think. So there isn't too much of it, but at the same time, it's built into little things. Like, for example, they have smoked aioli, which is absolutely amazing. Um, And their ribs are a speciality and they're slow smoked as well. So you really get the flavours. They have a built in wood fired grill, which you can see in the middle of the restaurant. uh, And that kind of uh, is their focus. And that's where they, they would cook the steaks and the prawns and a lot of other things. Tell me what you ordered. Um, so I, well, we initially started off, I wasn't drinking, unfortunately, I had to drive. So um, I had my first and probably last uh, non-alcoholic beer. I think I'll stick to a Diet Coke in future. <laughs> I don't think there's any point really to it. Um, it but I, I mean, look, it was a, it was a nice enough beer if you're into it. Um, I'm probably not enough of a fan to, to warrant drinking non-alcoholic. It was a Scheider Weiss one. And had it been brewed in their own brewery? No, not that particular one. Um, but my husband actually ordered uh, what I think is a really good idea. It was a, a taster tray of four of their well three of their own beers and one guest beer um, it's €9.50 for quite big glasses they're kind of normal water sized glasses which means that you get a good taste of everything without having to commit yourself to a full pint of, a, of you know a flavour that you may not agree with or mightn't be your favourite um, so he really enjoyed that it had all of the, the beers and that they, they brew in house so it was a good way to taste a little of everything without me having to roll them home lovely <laughs> And then we went on to the starters, which which I extended, of course. Um, Anthony went for a bowl of blood pudding, duck egg and burnt leeks. Uh, So an incredibly rustic dish, a really nice combination of colours to a certain extent because it was yellow oak and black pudding, you know, together. Um, And then also very earthy flavours. It was served with char-grilled maslin bread, which was just prepared on the the wood burning fire, as I said. And really, really uh, satisfying dish. What sort of bread? Maslin bread. So it's kind of like a traditional rough kind of bread. Okay. Yeah. um, And it was sliced thickly. So when it goes onto the grill, of course, then it gets that lovely blackened flavour as well. Sounds nice. It was. uh, He ate all of it and barely gave me a taste. So it obviously was. Not fair. (laughs) Not fair at all. I went for something a bit simpler, I think, because um, I wanted to leave room for my many other dishes. And uh, so I started off with uh, chermoula prawns. Um, I had to check, but chermoula are North African spices, um, so you can you can really taste that very heady mix of spices, which were lovely. Um, served fully dressed, which I like. I like to kind of work for my meal a little bit, and I find that prawns that are served. Um, without being dressed often if they're kind of left under the heater for too long can shrivel up a little bit so I much prefer them that way and they were served with a salad of pea sprouts and cherry tomatoes which was a lovely little refreshing contrast to the dark and heavy flavours So when you say they were fully dressed they still had their shell on Shell heads all the little tentacles everything if you're not into it probably not for you because we've had this conversation yeah. before, haven't we? <laughs> I like it, we? but it's not for everyone. It no, really yeah, isn't. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't. I can't be bothered. I want to eat it you straight not away. Yeah. With it. And to be fair, there was a fair amount of fiddling. You're, you're quite right because uh, they were very hot. They were served. The kitchen, I should mention, is absolutely tiny, and we were sitting alongside it, so we were watching this magician of a chef just whirl about in this tiny space, and, and his sous chefs, um, many of whom also work behind the bar. Everyone seems to be very well trained there. Um, create these incredible dishes out of four hobs, one sink and one fire. Um, I'm sure he has an oven down below as well, but that was about it. So he literally sort of flash fried them and then tipped the plate on and the plate was handed to me straight away. So they were boiling hot. So it did take a few burned fingers to try and make my way past the shells. And what did Anthony have? 
he had uh, so for the starter he had the blood pudding but then for main course I think it was all that watching of the fire he ended up going for the steak um, he saw too many of them go into the fire and come out smelling beautifully so he went for a sirloin steak it, it's as uh, I think they put it on the menu as a victual special so it probably changes every week or every month or so uh, it was sirloin in this instance and uh, very very simply prepared they just put a bit of dry rub which I believe you can buy directly from them and uh, a smudge of butter and that was it just the flavours of a good quality piece of steak really came through in their own How does Anthony like to eat a steak? Medium rare okay. uh, probably a little bit closer to the rare side so he really enjoyed it it was done beautifully Okay and mm. what did you go for yourself? Um, as I say I kind of couldn't put down the starter menu it was so interesting um, and the dishes are so intriguing so I ended up having two starters um, I began with a sabrasada on sourdough and sabrasada uh, sabrasada should I say is kind of like a soft um, Mallorcan sausage it's a little bit like soft chorizo or if you ever come across that Italian sausage and I'm probably not pronouncing it remotely right but it's spreadable so we had that on um, on toasted bread a um, little bit underwhelming if I'm honest it just it was kind of chorizo that was spread over a piece of bread so it wasn't my favourite dish but it was tasty if you're having it with a beer and you only want a light bite um, and then I had the half baby back ribs which is a house special and was absolutely fantastic okay. incredibly satisfying dish nice sauce with it there was but would you believe I pretty much abandoned it I had no real interest I didn't want to mask the, the subtlety of the smoked flavours um, the meat was done it was so tender and again the, the, the smoke flavours were coming through so well that I kind of just wanted to leave it on its own. There must have been a big finger bowl on the table that day, Rachel. There was, the and uh, <laughs> a couple of a couple of nips into the bathroom to keep washing hands in between the uh, the various different dishes. Um, but I should mention actually that the the ribs were served with um, well, pretty much a lot of the dishes were served with. A, uh, char-grilled baby gem uh, layered with a mixture of what I found out to be art salad goat's cheese and sun-dried tomato such a simple combination but it tasted absolutely amazing so I like the sound of that oh it was fab so this is what I mean about the chefs or whoever was behind the menu having fun nothing was out of bounds they, they put together you know whatever they kind of felt worked well and, and they were right it did it worked beautifully Was the dessert menu a nice choice? It was um, would you believe we squeezed in another dish before that just about anyway Before <laughs> dessert was another dish it, 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 the, the side menu again the sides were so interesting you know it wasn't a case of just chips and spuds um, for example they had uh, a side portion of panko encrusted king oyster mushrooms uh, with uh, chorizo shavings and that smoked garlic aioli I mentioned before on it and uh, I mean we, we are confirmed carnivores in our house but that dish might actually have tempted us to the other side it was absolutely spellbinding fabulous we were just silent over the table eating it so um, that was our that was our last dish before we finally made it to dessert okay and the desserts then the dessert um, I said again it was very playful we went for a dish called a blood orange and dark chocolate crumb um, when they say crumb they literally mean a plate of crumbs it was the most interesting thing I kind of looked at it unsure what to do um, and then dug a fork in I just lifted a little bit of the vanilla ice cream a little bit of the pink fruit and a little bit 
bit of what looked like dry earth, but it was actually chocolate crumb. Um, and I kind of was hesitant. I wasn't sure how this was going to work out, but it turned out perfect. It was beautiful. The combination of flowers, I mean, or flavor, should I say, the dark chocolate and orange is a very tried and trusted combination. But this really, this new texture and this new presentation really sort of revitalized it. Sounds mm. lovely. It was. It was delicious. Mm. Tea and coffee? Uh, no, at that point, we were really, really full to bursting. And I think it was time for home. And what was the bill then? The bill worked out. I mean, give the amount of food again. We had quite a lot of food. It was 89.80, so 90 euro really all told. But we had seven dishes for that and uh, a glass of wine and uh, a tray of tasting beers and a couple of soft drinks. And it sounds like the atmosphere and the decor and the ambiance and, and all of that was, was very good. It was. Again, I think I think part of, the, you know, that kind of playful, um, fun aspect of the menu fed through as well. The staff were, were great. They were very interested in, in what we thought of the food and what we thought of the drinks and really wanted feedback uh, and seemed to be having fun at their jobs, which is which is nice. So great that, service. Yes, great service. And, and that all fed through to the atmosphere and then kind of people coming in after work and relaxing up at the bar. And it was nice. It's certainly a nice way to, to end a long day. So details of that review and all of your other reviews are on your, your blog? They are indeed. Yes, it's rmkeely.com or on Twitter. It's at rmkeely. And just to remind the listeners the name and address. It's Elbow Lane Brew and Smokehouse and it's on 4 Oliver Plunkett Street in Cork. Thanks very much, Aaron. Thanks a million. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleinte. Thanks to Rachel for her latest review and you can find details of that review and lots of other on Rachel's blog rmkeely.com If you have the perfect restaurant that you'd like Rachel to visit and review for the show, please drop me an email to s.noonan at live.ie and I'll pass the details on to Rachel. Still to come tonight, Clodagh McKenna will be talking about lots of things including her new book, having a pop-up restaurant in London's Selfridges and a seaweed festival taking place in Ballybunion, County Kerry. And what exactly is in your food? I suspect a shock will be in store for many of us when investigative food journalist Joanna Blythman talks to me by phone about her new book, Swallow This, Serving Up the Food Industry's Darkest Secrets. Next, though, it's time to prepare ourselves for those hot summer days when an ice cream is the perfect treat. However, sadly, not everyone can tolerate dairy, but a delicious alternative is available. And my next guest, Brian Nolan from Nobo, is on the phone to tell us more. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Brian, thanks for joining me on the show tonight. No problem at all. Nobo ice cream. Is it ice cream? That is, well, you can't technically call it ice cream, but it's got all the same elements, all right. It's kind of creamy and indulgent, um, but without the dairy, so not technically ice cream. So what's it made of? Yeah, so it's made of, so we've kind of replaced the fat that you typically find in ice cream with coconut milk and avocado. And so that makes up the base, and then we've got rid of the refined sugar and we use honey uh, to sweeten it. And, and that's it. That's all that makes up the base. We don't use any gums, stabilizers, additive flavorings, or anything else, so it's it's a very clean ingredient list um, and a very pure product. Now, listeners are going to be saying avocado. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a funny one. It's, it's actually the only product of its kind in, in the whole world. Um, and it, it took a long time to get it right, as you can imagine. But yeah, avocado, so there's numerous health benefits to avocado. Uh, I would say a lot of people would know about it, But also what, what it helps greatly with is, is the texture. So naturally, when you take out the dairy and, and the milk, you're kind of left with, with a bit of a problem as to try and get that creaminess and indulgence that I mentioned. So avocado works great there, um, as well as obviously the, the health benefits to it. Now, you said there that it took a long time to get it right. 
like what made you think avocado would do the job? Yeah, well, actually, it was more we, we we had been using avocado since the start. So we came up with the idea kind of in 2012 and took about a year and a half of development before we launched it about 12 months ago. Um, so it was more, as I said, avocado was one of the, the ones we've had in from the start and we kept it. But it was more just because we don't use any gums and stabilizers to try and get that, that texture right. Uh, again, we don't have the dairy. So we started making it at home in our kitchen and and. I suppose what also made it a little bit trickier, what we were always trying to keep in mind, was that we wanted to make sure it was scalable, so that when we launched into stores, we could we could grow. So it was a lot of trial and error. As I said, it, take, it took 12 months, and, but, but we eventually got there in the end, and hopefully seeing the, the fruits of it now. Because your background isn't a culinary background, you're not a chef or you're not a food scientist or anything like that. Um, you're in the business with your wife, Rachel, and together it's advertising and finance. Exactly, yes. So, so our backgrounds are, are absolutely not uh, one that, that's what they should be or what would have made it a lot easier if they were. Uh, my own background, as I say, is in finance and Rachel's is in advertising. Um, but both, as many people are nowadays, it's become so popular, the whole, the whole world of food, both obsessed with food. Um, and within that kind of health and nutrition, particularly Rachel um, has also has always been very interested in in health and nutrition and it really actually all started to her she was making her own fresh almond milk um, and we, we thought maybe we could create something from that originally so so that was actually what, what made up the, the base at the start the almond milk and the avocado yeah so, so we kind of always had had a, a love for food and always wanted to work together so while our backgrounds didn't didn't come come from, from there they eventually found their way to, to that passion well, there are two great backgrounds to have if you're starting up your own business, like advertising experience, which I think is is reflected in your lovely website. You've great imagery there and it's great packaging and everything for the product. And obviously finance and yourself, yeah. you're the, the financial guru, yeah, I would imagine, for the business. It, but we, it, it's something we always talk about and, and a lot of people always mention it and that they are the two kind of disciplines that, that are very handy when you're starting out with the business. So we're really, really fortunate fortunate to have that background all right it's definitely helped over the last two and a half three years well you said there it took a long time to get the base right but once you got the base right then you were looking at flavors i i, I presume yeah exactly so so we so that so we kind of all started off with the kind of normal vanilla flavor as it were which is using really good madagascar vanilla extract and 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 to kind of trial everything and then trying to get some feedback we started selling at farmers markets in dublin um, in the suburbs and at those, we'd try different flavors every week. So we kind of went through a few a few crazy ones from mango and chili to, to all sorts of things and to try and get the flavors right. Because again, because it's such a kind of tricky product, that, and again, without using all the additives and everything else, when you use a strange flavor or use a different flavor, it can throw the texture completely off. So, so we weren't just trying to focus on, on making sure it tastes nice, but also to work with the, with the base. So it was a little bit tricky. <laughs> Tell me about the flavours that are out there in the market at the moment. Yeah, so we have five flavours now. We started off with three initially. So the initial three we had were the vanilla and coconut, uh, chocolate and toasted almond, uh, and a fresh lemon. Uh, The fresh lemon, actually, we we were lucky enough to win. We were delighted to win three gold stars and great taste awards in in London last year. It was judged one of the top 50 foods in the UK and Ireland, so that we were kind of over the moon with that. Um, And then quickly after that, or about kind of four months ago, we released an Irish salted caramel, which is kind of a funny one because it's caramel without the butter and sugar. So it's a health, healthy take on it uh, where we use coconut sugar. And then we have passion fruit and mango as well. 
which is the the most popular flavor in the the range it's funny that it's it's actually quite even uh, i'd say the salt of caramel is is since it's only just released not too long it's hard to judge but but judging by the amount of instagram and facebook posts we're we're seeing about it i think that's fast becoming the the favorite yeah, well, it is. It sounds like a great flavour. It's not one I have um, have tasted. I can't remember, actually, the ones I have tasted, but I know um, we have them in the house quite regularly because my daughter has eczema and we're trying to keep her away from dairy. Yeah, yeah. well, actually, I, I when I was growing up, um, dairy didn't agree with me at all. I was very allergic as, as a young child and I had very bad eczema. And that you mentioned there, um, which, which is interesting. Um, and it's actually, again, when I was growing up, I didn't, the, the link wasn't really made there. I think it's something that's quite, quite recent that the, the link between the two is being made. And, and I, I didn't cut out dairy as a result, um, but it would have been interesting to see how it, how it would have played out if I had. And it's also a gluten-free product. Exactly, it is indeed. So, so typically ice cream should be or... or, or in terms of the ingredients that in it, that are in it or should be in it, um, it should be a gluten-free product, but oftentimes it's not, um, whether it be the, the gums or stabilizers that, that, that might not um, be gluten-free, but, but ours is, is indeed. Now, you said earlier about whenever you were coming up with the product and the base, that scalability was very much in on your mind. Yeah. It is handmade in small batches at the moment, is that correct? It is, yeah, it is. Um, but but I suppose that they're bigger machines. We started in our home kitchen, um, and then we rented a space in, in Smithfield here in Dublin. And I think what was always kind of rammed home to us from the start, we were in a program with uh, Borbia and Enterprise Ireland and Chagos called Foodworks, uh, where they took in on the, uh, the first year, but actually they still do it now this year, um, third year, uh, where they take in a number of kind of high potential product concepts and bring you through a kind of eight-month program um, where they mentor you and try and, and you do a feasibility study and you try and get the product to market. And what was always kind of impressed upon us in that was, was trying to make sure it was scalable. So while we were developing this product, we were very sure not to launch it until we knew that it could be scaled up. So while we still produce it on quite a small scale, we have trialed it in bigger machines and we know that our, that our current formula mix can, can keep scaling. And the key, I think, there is that it can scale without the product changing drastically. So what we're always, again, keen to do. And again, what was, what was kind, of, um, kind of impressed upon us was that you don't want the product changing as you get bigger. And so it was a little bit frustrating because we had a product that, that we thought was great. Um, but yet we didn't want to launch it because, because we were conscious of that. So luckily the end product turned out better, but uh, scale was really important to us and something that we, we still think about quite a lot today. And it must have been great to have had that support and advice there from Bordbia and Tagust and Foodworks. Tell me also about the Food Academy programme with SuperValue. Yeah, I was just about to say we've been very lucky in, in these two programmes that we've, we've come upon. It's kind of interesting for any food business starting. There's so much support out there. Uh, that we wouldn't be anywhere near where we are without the two of them. So the food works first, and now the food academy, um, which which has a similar edge to it in in that it, again it's Borbia are involved in it, and um, but this time the local enterprise office, and then you've also got super value, so you have a retailer element there, and uh, so you get to to kind of sit in front of the of the team at Super Value. They give you feedback on your product, and it's really helped with us rolling out our product across. We're nationwide now across Super Value, and it's a really it's an incredible resource because you don't really get the chance. 
as a small food producer to get in front of these guys usually and to hear the insight into their business and what they'd suggest and kind of the support they've given us. It's really like a partnership at this stage. So it's an incredible, incredible um, initiative. And does that mean you're in Super Values all over the country? We are, we are, we should be in everyone's local super value at this stage, um, but if not, just ask aggressively for it, and hopefully the manager will get it in. Um, but we're in close on 200 super values now across the country as well as the health stores and specialty food stores that we're also in. And you recently had a recruitment drive for ambassadors, so are we going to see people doing in-store tastings? Exactly, yeah. So, it, it, I mean, myself and Rachel have done everything up until now, but as the kind of the, the listings get greater and, and we're available in more stores, it's very hard to get around. We also have a nine-week-old son called Sam that takes up a little bit more of our time. So um, we, we have brought a few people on board now to help us. Oh, you're very busy yes, for the nine-week and it's only going to get busier. I know, so I'm told, yeah. <laughs> so what are your expansion plans for the next couple of years? Um, well, I, th- I think that the key is, as we've always uh, thought again our plan um, is export um, but also we have to be kind of kind of careful and, and to grow sustainably um, as I kind of mentioned there we're, we're, we're growing going into a number of super values or a large number that we're already in and kind of servicing them and making sure that, that, that they're looked after properly as well as the stores at home so kind of looking after home territory is key but also we always started with the aim of, of kind of being a worldwide brand if we could um, it sounds like an ambitious plan but I think you have to have these aims when you start out and when you keep going so exports on our mind we've actually just recently as of this week um, become available in Dubai and Abu Dhabi um, in stores over there so that's kind of the first step in it but, but we'll definitely be keep, kind of sure to keep make sure that that's kind of sustainable and, and measured uh, as we grow well, just before you go, you better tell listeners where the name came from because it is a great name and there's a bit of a story behind it. Yeah, yeah. So the name we we were dry, we spent a lot of time in Connemara. Actually, I, I grew up going down there on holidays. My parents lived down there, um, and we were driving down myself and Rachel in the car trying to think of a name for this this business that we may or not may not be, be starting out on. Um, and we were keen to try and get across the Irishness of, of the brand, but also the fact that it has no dairy. So as we were kind of surrounded by a, a field full of cows, we thought the Irish for cow and, and no dairy and no bow sort of came to mind. And it, it stuck ever since. So it, it, it kind of gets a good reaction when people when people get it. Yeah, well, it is a great name, beautiful packaging, as right. I said, a beautiful website. And most importantly, it is a fantastic product. So congratulations to you and Rachel on that and as well on the, the, the recent arrival in the family there. Thanks. You're, you're two very busy bees and just tell tell us wh- what the website is so that people can go on. I know you've a, a listing there of exactly. where it's available in the country. That's it, yes. Yeah. So if you go on to www.nobo.ie N-O-B-O.ie, uh, you'll see a stockist listing there and we should be available as near as possible to you. Brian, great to talk to you this evening and continued success. Thank you very much. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to tonight's programme. If you've just joined us, we heard earlier from restaurant reviewer Rachel Keeley, who was telling us about her visit to Elbow Lane in Cork City.
And just before the break, Brian Nolan was telling us all about Nobo, which is the perfect dairy-free ice cream alternative made from avocados, of all things. I have personal experience of it and can highly recommend it. Never fear if you've missed some of the show as it will be up on the Best Possible Taste podcast later in the week along with all the previous shows and you'll find the podcast on soundcloud.com forward slash food dash and dash drink dash show. Still to come tonight, what exactly is in your food? Joanna Blythman, investigative food journalist, will be on the phone to talk to me about her new book, Swallow This, serving up the food industry's darkest secrets. Be prepared to empty out your cupboards, I would imagine. Next, though, it's time to return to the phone to talk to a guest who really needs no introduction at all. Clodo McKenna is well known for her TV shows, appearances, books and lots more, and I'm delighted she's time to come on the show this evening. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleiter. Clodagh, thanks for joining me this evening. Oh, pleasure. Thank you for having me on. We have lots to talk about, so we'll get straight to it. And the first thing I want to ask you about is Clodagh's Irish Kitchen pop-up in Selfridges, Oxford Street, London. That sounds very exciting. It is, yeah. It happens um, on the 18th to the 20th um, of May. Um, and uh, basically I've created um, a really beautiful contemporary Irish menu using all of the recipes from my latest book, which has the same title, Clodagh's Irish Kitchen. Um, and I'm taking over one of the restaurants called the Corner Restaurant in Selfridges, um, which is on the second floor for the three nights. And people um, yeah, book in and you come along and we've got a gorgeous um, whiskey cocktail aperitif with loads of beautiful small bites first and then it's a four course menu so um it's it's booking up quite nicely it's it's about two-thirds fully booked so there's still a few places left but not many what else is on the menu um so we start off with um an irish beef carpaccio um with um aged kool-aid cheese rockers um aioli and then all edible flowers and then we move on to um, handmade um, fresh um, dillisk ravioli. So I'm making fresh pasta with dillisk seaweed going through it. And then the ravioli are filled with um, Berrin um, smokehouse salmon and St. Ola goat's cheese from County Clare. And then um, over it then it'll be drizzled with um, wild nettle pesto. Um, and so that's the pasta course and then we move on to the meat which I'm doing lamb and it's not confirmed yet but I think I'm hoping that we're going to be using the ringer curry lamb um, which I think is absolutely extraordinary I absolutely love curry lamb I've got such a goal for it but I really wanted it to be highlighted on the menu um, and so that will be marinated so we're doing it'll be like a butterfly of lamb and we'll be marinating it with fennel and rosemary and then we'll be serving that sliced um, over all different edible flowers and mint and fennel and then on top of that then will be very thinly sliced roasted nectarines that will be roasted with um, apple syrup that comes from County Kilkenny. And then we'll be finishing off with with um, a gorgeous um, cargine moss, but the cargine moss will be infused with um, rose water. And then on the top of it then will be um, a rosemary and rhubarb compost. And then then we're going to have a sointa at the end of it, which will be with the first ever brandy that's been made in Ireland out of apple, which comes from Gulkenny as well. 
It's a real showcase of Irish produce, isn't it? It really is. And it showcases Ireland in the way that the food is currently, which I'm really excited about. So there's a lot of press coming. We have the editor of The Telegraph, um, um, from Grazia magazine, um, from Red magazine online. So there's an awful lot of press coming um, on the night and no pressure. <laughs> but um, so there's a lot of press coming. And so, and so I'd... I'm excited about them tasting um, what really current beautiful flavours we have in Ireland um, and to maybe demystify what really is Irish cuisine. Yeah, because your book, no, you said your book is um, Clodagh's Irish Kitchen. It's, it's the same name as the pop-up. And it is a collection of about 125 recipes, menus, ideas for entertaining. And it is traditional Irish dishes, but very much with a modern twist. It, it is. I mean, I mean, Glamour magazine in in, um, in America, they kind of did a really nice piece on it. And they, I love their quote on it. They said, if anybody really wants a taste of the way contemporary Irish cooking is currently in Ireland, then it's in this book. And that's for me. And the Irish Times gave actually the same quote. So it for me that what that's what I really wrote the book for I just like the restaurant I wanted to give really fresh modern flavors on on what what's cooking in Ireland at the moment um and it was great for me it was a great feeling for me that it came that the press in America were quoting it the same way as the press in Ireland and the telegraph in the UK as well they were all looking at it in the same way which was exactly what I wanted to create I wanted to create a book where you know, whether you're living in Ireland, you're not living in Ireland, or you're just interested in cooking more delicious, easy, simple dishes, but that are Irish, that you'd be able to open up this book. So it's got everything from dinner party ideas into it to, you know, your Saturday bake or your afternoon bakes, all the delicious cakes and everything and breakfast ideas, you know, the traditional Sunday roast that we do in Ireland and all different ways of doing it. And then I also have a piece in it called Tablescaping, which is um, something I'm really passionate about and have been since I've been about 13, is, you know, creating a really beautifully styled table. Um, And so I have all different kind of examples on how to do it and step by step. The menu for the pop-up or any of the recipes in the book? Oh, it's all from the book. Okay, great. Yeah, it's all from the book, yeah. How did the pop-up come about? Um, you know, we were just... Um, I have a, a very long relationship with Selfridges. I've always launched my books there. And um, and we thought that it would be a really fun way um, to showcase Irish food and to showcase my new book. Um, yeah, and it came from there. Fantastic. And one of the, the the dishes on the menu features, or two of the dishes feature seaweed, which is a passion of yours. It is, yeah. Um, you know, the Dinesk and the Cargill Moss, I think it's having a whole revival now in Ireland. And the first ever kind of, you know, proper seafood or seaweed festival has been held in Ballybunion, which is called the Wild Atlantic Seafood Festival. Um, and that happens um, on the weekend of the 5th of June. And I'm so excited, um, especially for it to be, you know, in Kerry as well, that has such a rich and diverse kind of coastline um, of seaweed. And, you know, everything from holistically, like for your health and your well-being, it's so important to try to get seaweed into your diet because it's so full of potassium and magnesium and iron and zinc. Um, and I personally love doing seaweed baths. So whenever I get to Ballybunion, I always try and go and do a seaweed bath. 
um, as much as I can. And when I'm not there, then I have the dried seaweed packs that I put into my own bath um, at home here in Dublin. Um, but it's it, it's so great. There's going to be Pony Raskin that's going to be at that festival too, who's um, who is an expert in seaweed. There's going to be all different festivities going on. All of the restaurants, or a lot of the restaurants in Valley Bunyan are going to be putting on specific dishes with seaweed in it. So, you know, if you haven't tried it before and you're not, you know, you're a little bit afraid about cooking it, it would be a really great, interesting way for you to just, you know, make your own decision about it. So you could come along. My cookery demonstration is on the Friday night at nine o'clock in the Cliff House Hotel, and that will be the launch of the festival. And then, you know, you could hear, you know, the next day you could hear Prawny Rashkin talk and then maybe do a seaweed bath and then you're all relaxed, go for a glass of wine and then maybe taste one of the gorgeous dishes that are in um, the restaurants with seaweed. So it'll be just a really fun weekend, you know. So um, I'm hoping loads of people will come along. All the information um, is, they have their own Facebook page. So it's the Wild Atlantic Seafood Seaweed Festival um, in Valley Bunyan. And if you search for it on your Facebook page, you'll you'll find it. Will there be any seaweed foraging? I know a lot of people are interested in that at the moment. Yeah, I think they're still putting the final details on the programme, but um, all the details are up on their Facebook page. I'm sure there's going to be lots of seaweed foraging as well. Well, finally, now, before you go, the May issue of Easy Food magazine, you're the guest editor this month. Yeah, yeah I know. I'm so excited to be the guest editor. Um, it's, you know, it's the best-selling food magazine in Ireland, and it's just jam-packed with recipes. And... Um, I think that's why it's so, so popular because there are so many, as they say, easy food recipes in there. Um, it's very focused on health this, for this issue. So I've put in all my different kind of health tips in there. There are fun ways, like for example, I love lemon curd. So there's a whole section on all different ways to use lemon curd. And then I've picked out all of my favorite recipes from my book and I've included it in the issue. Um, Definitely one recipe to look out for is my Bailey's Irish soda bread ice cream. I was on the Rachel Ray show just last month um, in New York and she said it was the best ice cream she's ever tasted. So um, it's not me saying it, it's her. It's gorgeous. So it's got the creamy texture from the Baileys. And then when you're making it, you basically toast off the crumbs of the brown bread um, in the oven with a little bit of brown sugar. So they become like almost like kind of golden nuggets. And you don't need an ice cream maker. You can make it in the freezer. and it's absolutely beautiful. It's oh. so good, yeah. I'll definitely look out for that one. <laughs> and that's in the May issue of Easy Food magazine, which if it's yeah. not out in the shelves at the moment, it will be out any day now, so it will yeah. be. Okay, Clodagh, so much going on. Thank you so much for talking to me this evening. Thank you. If people want to buy the book, find out about the pop-up in Selfridges. If they go on to com, I'm sure all the details will be there. Absolutely, yeah. And Dubray's um, around the country have my book as well as do all the Eastons as well. And I'm sure the local bookshops will have them have oh, it also yeah, or can yeah. get it, Great can order it in. Bookshops. Yeah, we have to support the local bookshops. Absolutely. So glad yeah. you said that. Absolutely. Great to talk to you and best Thank of luck you, with Sharon. the pop up. Thank you so much, Sharon. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break you heard me chatting to Clodagh McKenna about her latest book, The Seaweed Festival in Ballybunion, 
the next issue of Easy Food magazine and her upcoming pop-up in Selfridges. What a busy, busy lady. As I'm sure is my next guest, Joanna Blythman, who is an award-winning investigative food journalist. Her writing covers a broad sweep of subjects encompassing topics as diverse as supermarket domination, the environmental impact of salmon farming, the validity of healthy eating advice, farm animal cloning and the causes of food price rises and obesity. Lots and lots of very interesting subjects, I'm sure you'll agree. Her latest book is called Swallow This, Serving Up the Food Industry's Target Secrets. And she's on the phone now to discuss it with me in detail. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Joanna, you're very welcome to the programme this evening. Oh, I'm delighted to be speaking to you, Sharon. Swallow this, serving up the food industry's darkest secrets. It sounds very ominous. It does, doesn't it? Um, Well, it wasn't intended to be on ominous, but it was intended to sort of flag up to people that there's information in this book that hasn't previously been in the public uh, arena. And I, I feel that's really important because there's new information there that as yet, uh, most people don't really know. Give us an example of what that sort of information would be. Well, for example, um, I until I started researching the book, I, for one, didn't appreciate how widespread the use of enzymes was behind the scenes of contemporary food processing. So, for example, um, you know, I learned that 150 different enzymes are now used as processing aids uh, in the creation of processed food, but majority of these are never on the label, so you would not know that they were being used from reading the label. And I have to say that was news to me. Um, there's information about uh, the, 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 all, all categories of, of um, additives from colourings through to flavourings that just hasn't previously been public. But surely things like enzymes, anything that goes into it should be there on the packaging for people to see. Well, the, 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 the trouble is that there's two categories. So if something is regarded as an additive, so the, the thinking behind an additive is this is something that isn't naturally in the food that is added to it. Therefore, it has to be classed as a, an additive. It has to be mentioned by name on the label or have an e-number. So obviously, if, the, if you're looking at additives, you can turn over your, your product label and you can see e 300 E205 or whatever and you know it about those additives but there's this whole other category category called processing aids so these are uh, chemicals that are used behind the scenes uh, and the idea is or the, the the regulatory thinking is that they're sort of used up or not present in the finished food and therefore we don't need to know about that, that they've been used at all so i mean if i can give you an example because this all gets a bit scientific and abstract but for example um when people are using food manufacturers are using eggs you know they will not use fresh shelled eggs they will not be standing there cracking shells and uh, separating eggs and whites they will be buying normally uh, a pasteurized egg product, and it might be just whites, it might be uh, egg yolks, it might be a powder, but that uh, will have been pasteurized at a high heat. Now, that high heat causes discoloration uh, to the eggs, and the way to deal with that, one way to deal with that is to add an enzyme which will restore or give 
a, a sort of better colour to the uh, uh, the processed eggs. So it's things like that that are happen, happening behind the scenes all the time. I mean, another example is uh, vegetable oils, those very neutral, um, fairly tasteless, um, cheap vegetable oils that most people, you know, have in their kitchen and use. Um, those those have been uh, industrially refined, pretty much like uh, petrochemical uh, re- refining. And one of the um, chemical solvents used to remove uh, the oil from the seeds is, is hexane, and hexane, known to be a toxic chemical in certain situations, and it's used to strip out the oil, but because it's regarded as um, we, we, there's no hexane in the end product, or there's only tiny traces, we don't need to know about it. So that's treated as a processing aid. None of these things sound particularly appetising, but I imagine the reason they are in there is to actually make the food taste better. Well, one of the key things that I uh, discovered when I was researching Swallow This is that that um, when food is industrially manufactured, the ingredients are put through a very, very sort of uh, high-pressure, sort of uh, intensive manufacturing uh, process and that can involve uh, extreme sort of friction pressure high high extremes of heat and cold and so on and what this does to the food is it really sort of beats it up you know, and spits it out the other side and it comes out um, on the whole pretty tasteless and looking not uh, very attractive uh, I, I sort of a bit grey a bit washed out and beige so therefore, uh, flavourings and colourings are absolutely essential in most processed foods to, uh, re- you know, first of all, to mask the unpleasant flavours that are there from um, the manufacturing process, to replace those that have um, that have been removed, and in the case of colourings, to make them look more appetising. So, um, to give you a practical example of this. Um, by the time you've made margarine, uh, which is basically oil, water, and emulsifiers, it, it would look if it, if you didn't add colouring to it, it would look like a like a grey, horrible, unattractive thing. You wouldn't want to eat it. I think it's it's all very alarming for people, especially in this day and age when people are trying to look more at labelling and pay more attention to labelling to find out that not everything is actually on the label or they maybe just don't understand the information that is on the label. And I personally, having a, a young family now, would be paying more attention to labels. Mm. And, and one of the, the items that I've noticed recently on it is citric acid, which I would use or have used in the past to clean a, a baby's bottle steriliser. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, citric acid is, is you know, a standard kit for so many uh, processed foods, and it's there just to give us sort of certain, you know, basically to make the food stand up to the to the processing and make it last longer, um, and give it a sort of acidity edge to it, which will help it, you know, be, make it taste better. And yeah, you're absolutely right. You wouldn't have citric acid at home, except you would be using it to clean sinks or something like that. And whenever you talk about the shelf life being longer, people often would be thinking about additives being in products such as ready meals but in actual fact other fresh in inverted commas produce like wraps 
yeah. uh, bag salads, for example, which have been obviously washed in something to keep them. Those are something, those are products that people need to be aware of also. Well, I think, you know, when you buy a bag of salad, you, I mean, I used to think, well, <clears throat> I mean, basically this is a salad that someone somewhere has washed and put in a bag and what can be wrong with that? Um, but basically what happens with these salads is that, that, that all the lettuces or whatever it is comes into a processing unit and they all go through a bath. Uh, they're broken up and then they go through into a sort of bath, a tank of water, which is dosed with um, often enzymes, uh, but also fruit acids, which have the effect of sort of preserving them or making them look as if they're fresher longer. And that water isn't changed for hours at a time. And the, the, the information I have that could be that that would be up to six hours at a time. Um, every lettuce would just be going through the same bath of um, what I would consider to be dirty water. But that counts as cleaning and washing the lettuce. So when you open your bag of salad, that, that is what you've got. Uh, also in that bag of salad is something called modified air, which means that the, the, the composition of the gases in natural air has been changed the oxygen has been removed and it's been pumped through with other gases that have the effect of making it look fresh how did you manage to get access to to the the factories and the suppliers and the industry insiders because it's not a very positive story that you're telling about them no, it, was, it wasn't uh, easy because these uh, food manufacturers really don't want us to have any image of what goes on inside these factories because if most consumers actually saw how the food was produced, they wouldn't want to buy it. And it's quite interesting if you ever speak to anyone who's worked in a food factory, whether it's sort of baby food or meatballs or, you know, washing salads or, you know, chopping up chicken, they'll all say the same thing. I, I just don't want to eat any of the stuff that I see all day. You know, I just don't like it. And they, they want jobs in other places. So it wasn't easy to... I had to manage to get into a few um, by sort of um, uh, using a few contacts. But actually, the most revealing thing was when I managed to... Um, I took on a false identity and I um, managed to... Um, pose I suppose as a food manufacturer, a small food manufacturer and this allowed me to get into a very major um, food ingredients exhibition in uh, Frankfurt that is held for the um, for food manufacturers and effectively it was like an arms fair for food food manufacturers, all the companies and their, their, their chemical companies who create ingredients very complex um, cutting edge te- technological ingredients for, for food manufacturers are there and selling their wares. One of the kind of key reasons I wrote Swallow This is that I realised that we now know quite a lot about the production end of food. You know, we've all seen programmes about how chickens are reared for the table and uh, we've got quite a lot of idea of what goes on on the farm um, and, and in the fields, but we have no idea about what goes on in these food factor- factories where 
raw materials go in and uh, processes come out the other end. And I felt that was something that needed to be investigated. So hence, uh, swallow this. It is all fascinating. Sadly, not in a very positive light. And you're going to actually be in Ireland this weekend at the Kerrygold Ballymaloo Lit Fest in County Cork. Yeah, I'm so looking forward to it. I mean, I'm doing an event um, and in discussion, uh, in conversation with John McKenna, and uh, we're going to be talking about the themes from Swallow This. Um, there's been tremendous support and interest for, for my book and my work in Ireland. If people um, want to get tickets to see you, if they go on to litfest.ie, they can book there. Or it. for details about you in general, Joanna, and all your other writing, they can go onto your website, which is joannablithmanwriting.com. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, Sharon. And, and, and uh, yeah, I mean, uh, the information's all there. There's articles I've written and links to, to things that might be useful to people. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I really look forward to seeing everyone at Ballymaloo. And, uh, yeah, it'll be a great weekend, that's for sure. Fantastic. I look forward to seeing you then. In the meantime, thanks so much for talking to me this evening. It was a pleasure. Great pleasure. Thank you, Sharon. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleunter. Thanks to Joanna for a really enlightening conversation there. And um, that sadly is all we have time for this evening on Best Possible Taste, which was produced with the help of production assistant Laura Forrestal. Before I go, I promised to give a shout out to a food photography competition that has its deadline at four o'clock this Friday, which is the 8th of May. It's the inaugural All-Ireland Food Photography Competition that forms part of the Listool Food Fair, Ireland's longest-running food festival, which is taking place from the 18th to the 21st of June in the County Kerry town. The food photography competition is based on the theme of Irish artisan food, and if you'd like to be in with a chance of getting your work displayed as part of the finalists' exhibition, get your entries in by 4 o'clock this Friday. And I believe that there is a cash prize of €200 Euros there for the winner and that there's no cost to enter it. So good luck if you're going to do that. Full details are on the website, listolefoodfair.ie. And also best of luck to everyone taking part in the Apprentice Chef Programme final this Friday in Tralee Institute of Technology. I'm looking forward to going along to that and meeting some of the finalists. And finally, thanks so much to you for your company and of course to all of tonight's guests, Rachel Keeley, Brian Nolan, Clodagh McKenna and Joanna Blythman. Remember the podcast at soundcloud.com forward slash food dash and dash drink dash show if you missed any of the show tonight or maybe an older one or you just want to spread the word and tell a pal. And until next week, bon appétit. Do you want to get in touch with the best possible taste? Do you want to come on, share a recipe, review a cookery book, or just have a general chat about what you like to eat and drink? All you have to do is get in touch with me, Sharon Noonan, by sending an email to s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org. Bon appétit.